Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people. With Israel, he will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? Have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember what Moab, King Balak, had planned, and how Balaam, Beor's son, answered him. Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal, that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with eternal burned offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you. To do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure heart, because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed, because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, friends. Good morning. My name is Janice Yates. I serve on staff here at Decatur First. It's a real joy to be with you this morning. Will you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You guys, I do not like to mess up. I really don't like for other people to see me mess up or even know that I messed up. 
But in order for me to preach the gospel this morning, I need to tell you that I messed up. Jenny's last Christmas gift of 2019 did not arrive at our house until January 7th, 2020. She got home from school and immediately cracked it out of the box, a shiny yellow hoverboard. If you are unfamiliar with hoverboards, it's important to know that they do not, in fact, hover off the ground. It's more like an electric skateboard, but instead of moving sideways, it moves forward and back and turns. Jenny wanted to take it outside, but I made her learn to ride it in the house first, and I made her wear her bicycle helmet in the house And I wanted to put on knee and elbow pads, but she resisted. She boldly stepped on the hoverboard. She found her balance, learned how to turn her toes ever so slightly down to move forward or up to move backward. She took a couple of spills on the hardwood floors, but within an hour, she had mastered it. Okay, what happens next is a little hard to explain. The kids' dinner was ready, so I called them to the table. And when Ginny stepped off the hoverboard, I decided to step on it. (laughs) I balanced okay at first because I was holding on to the dining room table with one hand and the wall with the other. But then, almost immediately, I heard the hoverboard go, and the next thing I heard was the dull, humiliating sound of my hip hitting the floor first, and then the rest of me. And then I felt the pain, so sharp, I could not speak. The kids were both crying, screaming, really, I don't think they had ever seen me fall before, and they were scared. I tried to say, I'm okay, I'm okay, but I think it's possible I just thought that and did not actually speak it. Once I realized my body still worked, I used my arms to prop myself up to a seated position on the floor, leaning against the wall for support. A little while later, Andy came home from work and found me still sitting on the floor (laughs) with my back against the wall. Bad day, he said. (laughs) I looked up, tried to locate some dignity, and I said, I fell off the hoverboard. Andy smiled. Really, he said. I don't think he believed me. I did, I said. I saw Jenny doing it, and it looked fun. And I can roller skate, and so I thought it would be like that. But it's not. (laughs) And now, I don't think I can get off the floor. Andy looked at the kids who were nodding in agreement. (laughs) And he knew it was true. And he reached down and helped me up off the floor. 
There's something really humbling and oddly empowering about realizing how much you don't know. I had researched hoverboards enough to buy one for Jenny, but I didn't really understand that they come in different sizes based on weight. Jenny is 10, so I am way too heavy for Jenny's hoverboard to work effectively. My experience with balancing on skates made me think that I could balance on the hoverboard. But balancing on an electric-powered board is completely different from foot-powered skates. I knew just a little about hoverboards. I knew just a little about balancing on wheels. I knew just a little. And it was enough to be dangerous. It turns out there's actually a scientific name for that. Some of you may know this, but when a person knows a little bit about something and has false confidence in their knowledge and skill, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. The term describes a mental bias where people who know just a little about something are unable to recognize their own incompetence. And not only do they fail to recognize their incompetence, they're likely to feel as though they are actually competent. The irony of the Dunning-Kruger effect is that the knowledge and skill required to be good at something, that's the same qualities needed to recognize that you are not good at it. And if you lack such knowledge, you don't know how much you don't know. So it's easy for me to see, when I look back on it, that I misjudged my competence with the hoverboard. But I'd like to say in my own defense that I don't always do that. When I'm sick, I go to the doctor. I'm going to Google it first, but then I'm going to go to the doctor. When my car needs work, I'll take a look at the manual, but then I'm going to a mechanic. In my 20s, when I felt called to preach, I went to seminary. Even though I'd gone to Sunday school my whole life, I somehow knew that I didn't know what I needed to know. And so I wonder, what makes the difference? What puts us on a path grounded in reality about who we are and what we can do? In the spring of 2018, a group of folks connected to our engaged team here at the church had an idea for a shower ministry to our homeless neighbors. We have showers here at the church. You've probably never seen them. They are hardly ever used. So this scrappy little handful of volunteers, some of my favorite people, got organized. They reached out to a couple of local agencies who work with our homeless neighbors to let them know that showers would be available on the first Saturday of the month between 8 and 10 a.m. They got towels and soap and shampoo. 
They realized they needed coffee and food because this is breakfast time, so they made plans for that. And then one Saturday morning, they just did it. They opened the doors of the church and invited folks to use our showers and have breakfast with no strings attached. It was a beautiful idea. It still is. But here's the thing. In six Saturdays of offering showers, only about four people ever showed up looking for one. Which is weird because everyone we talked to in the community said this was a real need among our neighbors without housing. So why didn't it work? Well, homeless folks are a complicated population to serve. They often don't have reliable transportation to get them where they want to go. Those suffering from addiction and mental health issues are rarely able to keep to a schedule, like once a month between 8 and 10. And the agencies we tried to partner with were overwhelmed themselves and not reliable in helping us spread the word to their clients. These were all things that the team figured out after they'd started the shower ministry. So having learned a few things about what they didn't know, the engaged team paused the shower ministry indefinitely, recognizing that it was not an effective use of volunteer resources. So then about a year later, the engaged team got connected to a local nonprofit looking to partner on a warming shelter for those with no safe place to stay on freezing nights. I want to be clear, I was an observer in this process. I wasn't part of the decision making for it. But I've been around Decatur first, off and on, since 2004. And I was worried about this. You've probably heard that the dying words of the church are, we've never done it that way before. But equally dangerous are these words. We tried that once, and it didn't work. My fear from where I sat was that the failure of the shower ministry would provide just enough information to be dangerous. That we had learned from it that a homeless ministry in our gym doesn't work. And we'd have a Dunning-Kruger moment on our hands and a lost opportunity. But that didn't happen. We are hosting the warming shelter this winter and successfully partnering with a nonprofit to house folks in our gym on freezing nights. And they are using the showers. <laughs> so it seems to me that the failure of the shower ministry opened the door for the warming shelter, making the team more receptive to the new idea, not less. Their apparent failure wasn't a failure at all, just part of the process. But we only know that now because we kept moving forward. And I'm really happy about it. But again, I'm wondering, 
What made the difference? How did the church know that it didn't know everything instead of thinking that it did? If the Dunning-Kruger effect convinces us that we are smarter, better, and more skilled than we are, what Jesus says to us this morning turns that upside down. There's no mental bias here, just hard truth. Even though these statements start with the words happy or blessed, this is a list of things most of us would like to avoid. Grief and mourning, persecution, harassment, hopelessness and despair, hungering for righteousness, working for peace in the midst of conflict, showing mercy. It's hard stuff. And while the Dunning-Kruger effect essentially lies to you about the state that you are in, these statements from Jesus, often called the Beatitudes, they tell the truth. Life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Anyone who says it's not is trying to sell you something. But I think most of us are here this morning not because we have escaped the hardness of life, but because we have experienced it. And we know that there is blessedness in the midst of it. Life is hard, and yet what the Hosanna Choir sang this morning is still true. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. We know that what Jesus says in the Beatitudes is true, and that's why we're here. I said earlier that my kids had never seen me fall before, and as I speak those words out loud, I think, that's terrible. I was talking specifically about my unfortunate incident with the hoverboard, but my need to present myself as someone who always gets it right, who doesn't fall, who doesn't mess up, well, it goes way beyond the hoverboard. If my kids have never seen me fall, they've never seen me get back up. They've never seen me accept help in getting back up. And that is not the kind of example I want to set for them. If they've never seen me in a hopeless situation, how will they know that I have faith in something beyond myself? To never let my kids see me fail. Well, that's not an adequate witness for Jesus Christ. And it's questionable parenting. I need to get more comfortable messing up but I'm not the only one. Our church needs to get better at it. Far from being a source of regret or shame, we have to claim it 
as a path to knowledge and a part of blessedness. We need to remember that before there was a warming shelter, there was a shower ministry. It was faithful and well-organized, and it did not work. The church had to give up hope on one thing so that something else could come into being. Jenny's third grade teacher, Miss Foster, had a big poster in the classroom labeled, Our Favorite Mistakes. If you made a mistake and you learned from it, you got to celebrate it by writing it on the board. So friends, what's your favorite mistake? Where have you gotten it really wrong? Maybe hopelessly wrong? Because that's where God breaks through. I would like to see us make some amazing mistakes here at Decatur First in 2020. Who's with me? <laughs> I'd like us to find out just how much we don't know about some important stuff. I'd like us to find out how much we don't know about our neighbors, especially the ones who have given up on church or who just aren't interested. I'd like us to find out how much we don't know about racism, which is going to hurt, like falling off a hoverboard. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. There are a bunch of isms and phobias that we don't know how much we don't know about yet. And we're going to need to find out. I'm ready for us to make some really great mistakes around discipleship and small groups. Did you know that our classroom space is maxed out on Sunday mornings? We have room for new people in our existing classes, but we can't start any new groups because we are out of rooms. And that is just enough information to be dangerous. That's the kind of thing where we could say, we are really good at Sunday school. We're so good, we're full. And so we'll have to wait until we build a new building to teach any more people about Jesus. I do not want my church to say that. I don't know what the answer to our problem with space and small groups is, I will bet you that the first thing we tried doesn't work. Maybe the second thing will, maybe the third. But when we look back on those attempts, they'll seem less like mistakes or failures and more like the blessed path that helped us expand our small group ministry. As we gather around the communion table this morning, I'll be thinking about the bread and the juice we don't each get our own perfect small loaf of bread. It's one loaf, and it has to get broken to get used. We don't each get a whole perfect grape. We get juice that comes from 
smashed grapes. And this broken bread and these squashed grapes are holy and a means by which we know the grace of God. Friends, let us always do our best, but let us never forget that our brokenness, our mistakes, our squashed plans, and our mess-ups, those are a means by which we share the grace of God with this world. Amen. <laughs>